we try, but what local can compete with cash sales and above asking offers? I would like to think that being part of a community should involve more than our village board being money driven. What about the quality of life we all would like to have? There is a vicious circle that no one seems to be talking about. The less housing there is, the less employees there are to staff any particular business. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and that was Sister Bay Village trustee Denise Burdo that you heard at the top of the show, speaking at the April 28th Sister Bay Plan Commission meeting about why she thinks short-term rentals need to be reined in. Today, we'll talk about recent actions taken in Sevastopol and proposed rules in Sister Bay and Liberty Grove aimed at slowing or stopping the growth of the short-term rental industry in those communities. In the studio with me today are... Deborah Fitzgerald and Miles Danhausen. How are you guys doing? Great. Good. Good, man. How are you? <laughs> I am I'm feeling like there's a lot of power in this room. I have both of you on and I'm surprised uh, we could close the door. I know, right? And uh Deb, you just recorded with three people in this room. So four including yourself. This that is was now, pretty crazy. Yeah. So I I feel like I have the meeting of the minds here, which is great because we have a pretty important topic to go over. It's something that we've been writing about a lot in the last couple of weeks, and it's probably on the top of mind of a lot of different people. But we're going to kind of get into the short-term rental conversation. It's something that probably is top of mind for a lot of people up here, but also uh, right now there's been you know a new wave of rules and stuff that has gone through that has kind of brought it back into the fold for, for conversation. So who, want, who wants to start? Who wants to kind of start us at the beginning? Or what's a good place to jump into this conversation as it stands now? I think going back just a, a little bit to how big this room is. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So, <laughs> you're right. Well, all right. Well, well, before we jump into the topic, let's talk more about the studio. Yeah, no, it's a six by six room. I just wanted, because we, I had four people in here and I asked one of the people who's a facilities person. And so I was like, you, you would know about how big is this room? He's like, oh, I would say six by six. So anyway, <laughs> just to give people context yeah. on that. Did he, fi- did he figure out that measurement by imagining himself laying down on the floor? That's I, usually I what really I do. don't know how his mind works. I had just met him, but... Perhaps. I'm 6'1", one, so I'm always like, okay, so if I was standing on my shoulders, how tall would this room be? Really? What if I was laying down? Oh, that's about six feet. Okay, so there <laughs> we go. We wanted to keep this short, and now all of a sudden we're off on a tangent that is making this longer from the get-go. Thanks to me. Sorry about that. That's all right. right. STRs. Yes, what do we STRs. Got? So an STR is a short-term rental unit, and it is a lodging facility that is rented for less than 29 days per month. So anybody can do that according to the state statute. And lots of communities are trying to regulate how they do that. And that started happening in 2021, really, in Dora County. And so Sevastopol was the first municipality in Dora County back in 2021 to adopt the strictest short-term rental ordinance. And that one really 
force people to rent their properties less frequently, let's put it that way, than they than they used to be able to. So they used to be able to rent it just for one night or two nights or three nights. And they could have like seven different people on seven different nights. So they made it more strict trying to regulate the constant flow of tenants within residential areas by only allowing them to rent it for once every six days. So you could rent it for six days or you could rent it for one day, but it would have to kick in on the seventh day of the next rental. It's, it's a little bit complicated, but. Right. And I remember when we, when we had talked about that, it was kind of one of those things where it was like changing the quality or the character of a neighborhood was one of the big concerns where it's like, okay, so my neighbor, maybe somebody just moved in next door and now they are putting their house up on Airbnb. And now I have constant, like it's ever changing and there's no way to know exactly what my neighborhood looks like anymore. We had talked about that kind of character change of it as well, but short-term rentals, is that like the broader, more legal term for basically any Airbnb or VRBO kind of thing? That's where they advertise. You can rent it out in many different ways, but yes, that's the most commonly used, you know, platform to rent out their properties. Right. I just wanted to consolidate all of our like three letter yeah. words yeah. all together. There you go. Airbnb, VRBO, STR, right. they're all kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yes. But preserving the character of the neighborhood is one of the reasons that municipalities give when they are adopting these ordinances. And it is to try not to have a boutique hotel that's used all the time. I don't know if you've heard that a lot, Miles, but that is what they, you know, use not to have a boutique hotel as a neighbor. Anyway, so Sevastopol had come up with the most strict one, and then other communities started adopting the same type of ordinance without actually including that strict component. So they did require fees and that kind of thing, but they did not require, like Sevastopol was definitely the most strict of all of the ordinance that were adopted, whether it was Nassawapi or Liberty Grove or Sister Bay, or I think those are the only ones that have adopted one. Maybe Jacksonport. I think Egg Harbor has one as now. Oh, Egg Harbor. That's right. Yes. So if you backtrack a little bit, most of these communities didn't, didn't really worry about it. Like short-term rentals, vacation rentals, there's things that have happened up here forever, like either in the form of a cottage or somebody just renting out a, a seasonal residence. I used to badger people who rented places out for the summer when I needed housing in the winter. I'd be like, hey, you're, you're unwinterized home. Can I rent that for six months while I try to find another <laughs> apartment? And I've done that sometimes. So these have been around, but then VRBO and Airbnb primarily made it a lot easier to do this and a lot they provided this online mechanism to advertise through. So that sparked this extra round. And we've talked about that on the podcast before. If I can interject this, people talk about how this has gone on for a very long time. Yes, it's true that people have rented their vacation homes that they owned, but they rented it to family and friends and people that they knew because there was no national platform for them to put it out there and get anybody that who wanted to rent a place in Dura County. So well, it was a different type of rental environment. It was, but I want to clarify that it, it wasn't just family that they were renting no, to. So no. just so people to, there was, they, they would advertise through vacation rental agencies a lot of times. So you would sign up with somebody who would promote your vacation rental. Yeah. So I just like, I think that that is used a lot as a justification for, you know, how the business is today 
And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's not an accurate one. That's why, I, you know, I, I think that Airbnb and Verbo changed the environment so dramatically right. that I don't think that that comparison is very accurate. So that's why I'm always, you know, whenever I hear that, I'm like, well, it's not really the same thing. Yeah, I'm just saying that it, it wasn't invented with Airbnb, you know, no. and, and VRBO. Right. So these are things that have been happening, but towns never felt like they had to do anything special to regulate them because they, they just flew under the radar. And then when it boomed under these online rental advertising agencies, basically, that sparked some concern. And even a few years ago, like people barely talked about it. But when the legislature changed the rules in 2017 so that you couldn't basically took away the local control about managing where these things could operate, then that's where it started to become a bigger issue for these municipalities to say, well, we, we need to figure out what we can do. And it turns out there's not a lot they can do. <laughs> there isn't. And if there is any municipality that is, you know, kind of figured out what they can do, it's been Sevastopol mm-hmm. pretty much. First in limiting what the way that they did it. And then just recently, and this is why we're kind of talking about this again, Sister Bay is looking at it again, and Sevastopol just passed a new ordinance that made it even more strict than it was before. And this new ordinance basically says that if you do not claim this property as your primary residence, then basically you can't operate it as a short-term rental property anyway. Mm. However, If you do rent it for shorter than seven days, you need to be on the property. The property owner needs to be in the next bedroom (laughs) as the Hmm. tenants that are in there. So this is obviously aimed at people who don't actually claim this property as their primary residence and it would be like a an investor or you know somebody who lives somewhere else and just you know owns this property and rents it out so so that that clearly is kind of hampering what we had talked about people who own a second home or a vacation home who are using it in that way but the other question that i had was is there an element of like the housing market as well in terms of people just buying property to rent out consistently like has that always been a thing or is that more exacerbated since Airbnb and VRBO and and the housing market just blowing up as it did in the pandemic? Like, is that a part of this conversation as well? I'm sure. I mean, and there are certainly the reasons why municipalities are giving for wanting to put more restrictions on these. But I don't have the data that shows, you know, how many people and I don't I don't actually know how to get that data to show how many people decided, hey, this is a great business opportunity. I think I'll do this now. They might not have had that opportunity before. And so they didn't purchase that single family home that maybe would have gone to somebody else as a short-term rental. But, you know, how do we get that data? Like if a person wouldn't have done it, you know, if... I I don't know how we would get that. So it's kind of difficult. It's kind of tricky that way. But certainly I I imagine that people who never even thought of that as a business proposition could now afford to buy a place up here because they know that they could rent it out and basically, you know, pay for the mortgage on the place or any kind of an investment company. There was one thing when people started buying up homes with the idea of, I'm going to buy that home and I can rent it out. I can use it four weeks a year and rent it out the rest of the time relatively easily. At least everyone thinks it's pretty easy when they get into it. It's it's probably more difficult than maybe we make it sound. That boomed. 
But then I think, and maybe this is what scares people even more, of people coming up and building homes for the sole purpose of making them vacation rentals. That is something that is very new up here. I don't think historically, even when people were doing this 50, 60, 70 years ago, or even 15 years ago, people weren't buying plots of land and building them solely to rent them as little individual Airbnb vacations. And then that becomes an investment property because you're sticking money into a property that's cash flowing itself, probably making some money, but then you're getting the appreciation value on it. So it's a good financial investment for a lot of people. That's changed the game a lot. And it has made, you know, there's just so much more competition for any property that's for sale up here. What Deb was talking about earlier with those existing homes, like figuring out how much it's impacting the market is is really tough because the market is so wild up here right now. And COVID made it even more wild. And interest so, rates. And, and interest rates and things like that. I will say that like, I could go through a lot of the homes, the 17 different properties I've lived in over the years that were once, you know, when I was living in them, it was not just me. I was usually living with like five other dudes piled into a place. And a lot of those places that were workforce housing, a good chunk of those are now vacation rentals. And when I looked for homes in 2017, when I moved back up here, there is a good chunk of the ones I looked at that were 150 to $300,000 homes that were options for, uh, for me and my family are now vacation rentals as well. So that doesn't mean all of them because, or like how, how much is that impacting the market? It's just so hard to tell because that might've happened even without VRBO. Somebody might've bought those and decided to do that. Like there used to be people used to live in all of our downtowns. They just don't. That's something that's been changing for 20, 30 years where people used to live above a business and now they, the business is downtown, but nobody lives there, like Fish Creek, for example. Right. So there are communities like that that you could probably track it a little bit more easily, like the city of Sturgeon Bay, for instance, which would have had a lot more housing stock, you know, the single family home housing stock than, say, a Sevastopol where a lot of their short-term rental properties are on Glidden Drive or Bayshore Drive. So even if those were not short-term rental properties or seasonal properties that families are renting out now, it's highly unlikely that those would be, you know, worker housing or affordable housing in any sense of that word. So I think even by community, it would be a little bit different. What Sevastopol is doing is is really trying to put the kibosh on the future of the short-term rental opportunities. That would be a good thing for you to clarify. So you had mentioned that now you have to live on site but the existing ones, are those grandfathered in? Yes. So that's okay. what I was going to, that's what I, and for some reason they don't legally like to use the word grandfathered yeah. for a reason I haven't actually understood. But anyway, the people who already had a license in Sevastopol prior to July 1, 2023, are able to use the old ordinance still. So this owner-occupied issue that is in the amended ordinance that has been passed doesn't come into play for them. So everybody who was a short-term rental property owner in good standing prior to this kicking in on July 1 of this year is fine. They can still operate under the old ordinance. The people who come in the future are the ones who would be hampered. And that's what they're trying to do is to put a stop on it. Like say, okay, from this point forward, this is no longer going to be an attractive proposition for a business owner. Mm -hmm. If they have to be on the premises or have to claim it as their primary residence, it's just not going to work. Right. And they had been hearing of 
investor groups that are starting to look at markets like Door County and wanting to buy up clusters of short-term rental properties. Yeah. So they were trying to protect against the future. So that was Sevastopol's solution. So I have two questions before we talk about some other communities. But the first one is in terms of, and you, you said they don't like the word grandfathered, but for lack of a better term, we'll use the term that everybody else uses. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, sometimes you have like a, a business is grandfathered in and it, it could be the, the business or the property owner. How long would this actually last? So let's say I'm grandfathered in with my current property. Does that mean that me and the way that I do it, if I get another property, do I get to use the old rules? Does that end with me? Like if I were to leave or die, or is it tied to the property in some way? Yeah. So what happens if you own, if you have a permit in good standing, then you remain grandfathered in as long as you have a permit in good standing. So once a year, you have to renew that permit. And if you're always in good standing, it's always fine. Now, if you want to sell the property, then if you sell it to a relative or put it into a trust, then you can continue to be grandfathered under the old ordinance. So there are several different ways that you can transfer the property and still sell it kind of as a short-term rental property. If you sell it to somebody else entirely, other than those few things that they have in the ordinance, and they're basically relatives or a trust, then you lose that grandfathering. So it doesn't transfer with the property. It only pertains to the person who actually owns the property at that time. Is it tied to both of them though? So like if if I have a permit in good standing under the old ordinance, can I buy up a new property and use it under the old one? No. Okay, so they're linked together, got it. Linked together. They're not linked together. No, they they are in a way because... (laughs) It goes, it's a brand new permit. So so it is, yes, it is linked to the property in essence, except for if you have a current permit. Right. Yeah. All right. Yes, I think you understand. Yeah. I think think we're getting it. (laughs) And then the second second question that I had was under the, the strictest form of this, Basically, who then becomes a short-term rental operator? Is it just people who live here year-round who might, you know, go on vacation for four weeks a year and want to use their STR for those four weeks? Well, it would be somebody in the future who actually considers it a primary residence. And so it's going to make it very difficult. If there is a person who owns a house up here as a Door County vacation, you know, home and they just come up here like once a month or you know, maybe on special occasions on the weekend, then it's going to be hard for them because it needs to be their primary residence. Right. So it would be the person who's living here for most of the year, but then rents it out a couple times a year when they're not there. So it basically, I mean, that, that's not really a business model at that point anymore. It's just like a couple weeks a year kind of thing. Well, you could still live someplace for less than six months, you know, just under six months and still rent it out for half the year. As your primary residence? Yeah. So actually what, what you're describing, Andrew, is what it becomes if people can wipe their slate from the last few years of vacation rentals and VRBO and Airbnb being like this, really an enterprise. If you go back 10 years ago, Airbnb, VRBO, most of us got acquainted with them with the idea of, hey, somebody rents out of room in their house or they rent out of room above their garage. And it's a way to stay somewhere cheap and get a local experience. And you meet the owner and you're, you're like staying with this person. Get bed and breakfast. <laughs> 
I, it's literally how I honeymooned in Costa Rica. I lived in an apartment above a bar at one place. And then we stayed in the coach house of a guy who, whose family was with us and who told us where they go and eat. And that was the, that was a big part of the sales pitch for these things or early on was meet people, meet community, be in the neighborhood, live like a local kind of thing. It was only later that they became this kind of off premise. You just go and check in and you live in this what's now a vacation rental really set up more like a hotel only without management and cleaning services. So that's sort of what this pushes you back to is living on the property with somebody in a large case, they could still be off site for large stretches, but you know, back to your question earlier of like what, what's driving this, it is early on. These regulations started with some of these issues communities were having with Airbnbs of like, all right, they're not parking in the right places or they have too many people staying there. There's too many people for the septic systems to hold up to. There's noise complaints and there's no one to complain to. So we need an agent that we can call when there's a problem, be a good neighbor. That was a lot of the first wave of, of kind of the issues with these rentals because if you have a hotel, the hotel has a manager. The manager handles all those things. If you don't have the manager, you don't have on-site management, but then you also have like a you know, we have some of these 12 unit condos being built, which are almost entirely, the whole premise of them is that they can be sold as vacation. Like you, you buy this condo, but you're going to rent it as a vacation rental. And in fact, communities encourage this. Sister Bay was encouraging this four or five years ago. But what you end up having is a 12 unit hotel without any management. So where does the enforcement go? If somebody's parking in the wrong spot or somebody's loud, or if somebody isn't taking care of their trash the right way, now that is falling on the back of the village. So the village is getting that call, not the manager. Or the police, in some cases, are getting that call, not the manager. So it becomes this extra headache for the village. And that became another layer to enact some of these regulations. And then now, I think, more recently, people are really getting scared about the housing stock. And sort of now they're like, we need to put the brakes on this to save our housing stock for locals and workforce. And I know specifically in Sister Bay, Denise Berto, the plan commission chair there, where they are, we haven't talked about it yet, but they are also looking at a very strict or a stricter ordinance, but she has made no bones about it. She said, Hey, I'm worried about the people who live here who can't afford a house, not the people who want to retire here someday, being able to subsidize their retirement plan. So that is her take. And she's said that herself at meetings. So if that if that kind of covers broadly, like the whole situation in Sevastopol, is this a good point to kind of talk about what some of the other places are doing? Yes. Okay. I did want to add that most all of these ordinances for all the communities that have passed them so far, they're very, very similar. They all kind of modeled, you know, after each other. So, for instance, deal with the thing that Miles was just talking about of, you know, having these properties with no manager. They all have these requirements for how far away a person can live, you know, and rent out the property or they must have an agent, you know, that lives within a certain distance. And in Sevastopol, for instance, if the property owner doesn't live within 75 miles when it's being rented, then they have to have a resident agent in the county. So that, that kind of thing. So they all are very similar in that way. But Sevastopol is the only community thus far to restrict how often, essentially, an STR can be rented. Yeah. And up until 2017, you could, like Sister Bay had zoning rules and codes in effect that said, you can operate a short-term rental in these places, but not in these. And then a lot of people ask that, like, why don't they just 
zone them out or why don't they just set a limit on how many there can be and how many licenses you can have. And the reason that some of those, what seem like obvious solutions to this, if you want to call it a problem, some people say it's not a problem. So be clear about that. But like, if you're calling it a problem, if you, some of those things that you think are obvious solutions, our local boards don't have access to those solutions the way they do in other states. Take Texas, you can, you can use zoning laws. Colorado has many more things you can use to handle this issue. But in, in Wisconsin, our state legislature in 2017 said, you basically hands off the only tools you have are the number of nights and number of consecutive days, basically, is what they said. If right. I'm, if, Deb, you've covered this a lot more yeah, than me. Yeah, I mean, they, they basically allowed them in residential neighborhoods. And that's when the proverbial, you know, crap hit the fan. Yeah. I mean, because now you could have these boutique hotels in your residential neighborhood. Right. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. So not only are we talking about this right now because Sevastopol kind of looked at their ordinances again, but now Sister Bay. And, and just to be clear, they amended their ordinance. Right. I mean, it is right. it is a done deal now for Sevastopol. Right. And, and Sister Bay is now looking at their ordinances. Kind of why this is top of mind is because... You know that that'll be the the next big one to kind of we'll we'll see how they come down on it. But what what is it looking like in Sister Bay right now? Well, Sister Bay, so they will bring a proposal to a public hearing at the end of May. I think it's May twenty third is the date. And what they are discussing, what they discussed last week at the Plan Commission, was they they had a whole laundry list of potential things they were going to put in. One of them being. I shouldn't say they were going to put in. I would say up for consideration to discuss, to like lay a baseline. And one of those was even, hey, if you are selling your home and you list it at $499 and it sells for $599, one idea was half of that excess money, what they would call, would go into supporting affordable housing. Oh my goodness. How would that work? Well, there's tons of holes in that one. Who knows if it's legal to then realtors would just list everything much higher so it would never sell over list. So you'd shoot yourself in the foot there. So they but, were putting their wish list, like everything yeah. into this. Okay. Which All is right. yeah, probably fine. not it's, a bad idea. Like, hey, let's, right? let's talk about out-of-the-box solutions, right? That is not where they went with this. They went into closed session for an hour. So I don't know what the discussion actually looked like. And they went into closed session because they said they've been threatened by uh, for potential lawsuits from short-term rental operators. So they use closed session to go and discuss something that they may end up in litigation for. I think that is a little dubious to discuss an ordinance that way, but that's how they've done it. But they came out of closed session. And so I didn't get to see a lot of their deliberation, but they basically said they have like a consensus to move toward the 180-day limit for the number of total days you can rent in a year that you're allowed to limit in state statute and go with the seven day minimum rental. So similar to Sevastopol, they are not, at least they did not discuss at that meeting going with a must live on site thing for new, new licenses. So they, they are going in the same route that previous licenses would be grandfathered in, but then any new license would be subject to those new limitations. 
And it was the same thing. You'd have to be in good standing. And they actually had a very specifically called out that you can't be a jerk to the staff, <laughs> basically, is I in their, their, uh, their planned ordinance because apparently people have been just really unkind and out of line with village staff. And actually, we saw that in this public hearing where one particular gentleman was pretty rude in his approach in the, in the public hearing portion of the meeting. So that's what they said is exactly what they're kind of sick of in the village offices. Like we're just trying to enforce our ordinances and we're getting this feeling. So that will actually count against you. If you, (laughs) if you treat the staff badly, we'll see how they gauge that. Like what, what counts as treating you badly? Is it rolling your eyes or is it like cursing you out? Like, Right. That's a tough one. But at least it puts it out there. And it doesn't instill in you any sense of confidence that a person who owns an STR and acts like that is going to have, you know, guests that are (laughs) also respectful, you know. So So that is what, but their plan is when they, they talk about grandfathering in as of right now, and this is not a done deal, but they are not planning on grandfathering it in where it would pass from, you know, let's say my dad had a short-term rental and then he passes the house on to me, the license goes like that grandfather status goes away. So eventually they would all trickle away and they would all, you know, over generations would be just seven day rentals. That's what sister Bay is now considering. So where that stands now is Sevastopol's ordinance is passed. That's the rule. Now sister Bay will consider it again at the end of May. And they may tweak some of those things even further. They could get stricter. They could loosen up. Who knows? And then, Town of Liberty Grove is having a discussion, may take action this Wednesday on on their little tweak to their ordinance. So I would expect then once with this wave, would not be surprised at all if you didn't see Ephraim, Bailey's Harbor, Egg Harbor kind of follow suit, or maybe just say, all right, those towns won't restrict it further. We'll, <laughs> we'll take all the room tax revenue. We'll take more of them in our community, maybe. I mean, I don't think that would be the leaning from anybody that I talked to, but you're going to have different rules in different places and they could be drastically different. Yeah. And it's the argument. And and that is one that I've heard STR owners make and others that if you limit and restrict STRs, then you're also limiting the revenue that your municipality can receive because the room tax is 8% and it's charged on all STRs. And then of course, 30% of all of the money raised, you know, goes to the municipality, you know, according with the number of STRs that are there. So there are now though, town chairs who are saying, you know what, we like the money, but we'd like it better if there were no STRs. And that's exactly what happened in Sevastopol and Dan Wolfel. I mean, he doesn't mince any words. You know, he said, we really like the money from STRs. We built this town hall as one of the things. And so we're really grateful for that. But we have, you know, 2,800 residents and 81 STRs. And those 2,800 residents outnumber the STRs. And so we need to consider them as well. And so that's what they're thinking as they craft these ordinances. So the money argument may not really go very far in the future. That's the same sentiment I've heard in some of these other municipalities. They're not, they're not worried about that money Mm -hmm. right or wrong because it's beyond the room tax money. Like any, the room tax is only 8% of the lodging. 30% of 8%, right? Yeah. the, The lodging revenue that that, that property owner makes is a much bigger deal. The revenue that spreads around the community is much more than what the municipality specifically is bringing back. So there's, I don't, I wonder sometimes if you polled residents where they would end up on it, Mm -hmm. because 
almost everybody, even if you're against them, is like, well, if I could finance a second property with it, I'd do it, <laughs> right? Like same reason people don't like to raise taxes on the rich because everyone has this idea in their head that, well, I'm going to be rich one day. And so I think a lot of people, and, and let's, STR operators, there are some corporate investment groups doing this around the country that have dabbled a little bit in Door County, but most of these people are either seasonal or full-time residents of Door County. So it's, it's not a, it's not an us and them thing. Like STR owners are mostly residents too. I don't know if I would say mostly, and I think it depends upon the community. Hmm. I know that I have the breakdown for Sevastopol and it's definitely not mostly. Hmm. So here's the last question that I have just to wrap up and, and we're going to put on our fortune teller glasses or our, we'll pull out our crystal ball. Let's say every municipality ends up adopting a much stricter STR policy. What happens then? Like, what does the future look like if STRs were halved or dry up over the next 10 years? What do you gain from limiting them so severely? And it's most basic. I mean, you lose the revenue. And I can't remember the term exactly, but they, the for instance, the National Park Service always does this assessment of its national park sites to show the residual dollars that the community receives because of the people who go to the grocery store or to the gas stations or even the people who work there who, you know, buy all of the goods that that local community produces. So you would Lose all of that, I mean, based upon the number. For instance, let's take Fastball. They have 81 short-term rental units. Let's say that all of a sudden you can't do them anymore. And so there are no longer those 81. Well, will some of those houses go back in the market? Probably not in Sevastopol, but in other communities they may. But you will no longer have you know, I don't know how many people could circulate through one short-term residence for 81 residences throughout the course of a year. Well, certain businesses will definitely feel that. Restaurants, bars, you know, grocery stores. I mean, so it would be felt. So then you get some houses back, but what, you get more hotels built to compensate? Like I don't think so. The traveler marketplace and experience and expectation is much different than it was 10, 15 years ago. And I don't think it's going back. <laughs> People like staying in homes. It doesn't mean they don't ever use hotels, but I don't think the traveler that you would lose is going to be necessarily, oh, we're just going to shift to this. Because a lot of people, especially if you like to travel with, you know, three couples want to go and, and stay together and cook together and just be in one spot or two families or three families with their kids. They just want a place where they can Kids can run around. We're not in hotel hallways or disrupting other guests. We have our own compound. Like that is a real part of the travel market now. So it's not a, oh, now we'll just shovel them into the hotels. Plus the hotel occupancy in peak season is pretty close to full as well. So it's not like there's a ton of openings there to shift them into. And I don't think our community would jump all over. I mean, you see what happens every time a hotel is proposed. So it's not like you're going to get a rash of hotels built because you get the same pushback on that. So I think you would diminish the marketplace. I'm not trying to speak in favor of SDRs with this, but I'm just my hunch on what would happen there. And I think you would push out some of the younger family clientele that everyone begged for for years and years and years because it's much more affordable for three people to go in on a house than it is for three people to get their own hotel rooms in peak season here. It's almost like you have to be well into a six-figure household income to do the three nights in a hotel for three different couples, unless it's like your main vacation of the year. So 
that's one impact on the plus side of what they, I guess you would, you would cool off the housing market a little bit. That's just speculation, but that's the idea of that. If you can't buy these places as business opportunities, there would be fewer people willing to buy all these houses. So you might, you might cool that off a little bit is, I think that's what most of these towns are hoping they're doing by doing this? Yeah, I think they're they're trying to create balance. I mean, for all the reasons that you just said, Miles, why, you know, I mean, these are these are visitors that we want to have, right, in Dura County. And yet we do want balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what municipalities are really struggling with. Like, what is that perfect balance? And unless you try things, then I guess you won't ever achieve that. I think Everybody could probably agree right now that if this market were to continue unfettered, completely unfettered, I mean, there would never be, and this would just be a visitor place. Yeah. I mean, it would be very difficult, you know, to call it home anymore for other than retired people. And And I don't think that you can't have a population of just retired people. I mean, you need young people up here. So... It's balance that we're seeking. And we should be clear, this isn't Door County specific. Lake Geneva is doing the same thing. Like Everywhere. cities are having yep. this discussion about short-term rentals in the housing market. And there's a lot of factors and who knows, short-term rentals play a role. One thing that I will say when I go to meetings and when somebody stands up and say, this isn't, we, we have no impact on the housing market, like, Okay, that person lost all credibility. Mm-hmm. It, the question is, how much of an impact? Is right. this 5% of it? Is it 50% of it? Like, some people think it's 100% and that's wrong. I mean, like, that person is they wrong as well. They lose credibility yeah. too, right? So. so can you look at these ordinances as kind of a, a pressure release and that, you know, once things kind of even out a little bit, maybe they're looked at again in 10 years to see if maybe we relax? Oh, I would, I would say if we, if, like, if you banned them all and they were all gone in three years, in five years, we'd be having a big community forum to say, well, how do we bring them back? <laughs> like, I think okay. that because I don't I don't know the data right now, but a couple of years ago, it was like 30 percent of all overnight stays were in some sort of vacation home or cottage. I bet you it's in the f- close to 40 percent now. I wouldn't be surprised. That is a huge portion of the marketplace. Got it. So think of these more as a way to stop them from overrunning, but not necessarily quash them forever. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That balance. It, yes. at, at and best, all things. I, none of these things are the solution in my in my opinion right here, but it slows things down so people can think of what is a solution or do whatever lobbying needs to be with the state to allow them to have the tools that other states have or something. But it's not, none of these I think are perfect. It, they're not. And it almost requires like a consultant, a solutions consultant, because <laughs> anybody who comes up with a solution locally is going to have a bias. I don't care who you are. You're going to be standing on one side of the fence or the other. And for anybody to come up and say, this is the best possible way to do it, then you have to look at where that's coming from, you know, from what perspective. So it's almost like when you do master planning for an an organization, we almost need like master planning guidance for, you know, this kind of an issue to bring in people from the outside and take a look at it. And I really love the idea, Miles, of asking people like in some formal way. 
I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Like to yeah. put it to referendum, advisory referendum, and just say, you know, you would, of course, have to carefully craft the question, but just to get a feel, because we talk to the same groups of people all the time, right? Yeah. So we know this side for and this side against, and we know exactly who those people are. But what about the people who don't have any skin in the game per se, you know, what do they think? Like just regular, you know, residents who are going about their own business and doing their own job and have no universe that circulates around the STR issue. Another important thing to mention on this is you go to Sevastopol and you come back the next day and you're like, hey, Sevastopol is talking about doing this. And I go to Sister Bay meeting and I come back to the office the next day and go, oh, and Sister Bay is looking at doing this and Liberty Grove's thinking about this. And we're having all those discussions, right? When I talked to a Sister Bay board member a month ago about the rules they were looking at implementing, A, didn't know what the state statute was, and B, didn't know what Sevastopol had done. Sure. Or, or had misinterpreted what Sevastopol had done. And we've reported on it a ton, but they don't know. And then talked to another clerk in another community today who also didn't know the latest sense of Ashpool, and that community is talking about this in a couple of days. So we still operate in silos on this, and I get it, because like it's our job to cover all these different communities. They're just trying to handle their one, but it's it's amazing how much they aren't connected to each other or learning right. from each other, and even we, though it seems they're all handling this at once. And we know that that happens, and the one case where it is proven that it doesn't have to happen, in my opinion, is with the broadband coordinator. When the county of Dora brought in a broadband coordinator, every single municipality up here is researching that issue. And now they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like they're all talking. There's a clearinghouse. They're able to easily access information. I mean, they have samples of, you know, RFPs that they can put out. I mean, it's been incredibly helpful. But if you don't have somebody whose job it is, to bring all of these municipalities together on this STR thing, then how is it going to happen? All right. I think we have covered a lot today. I'm asking the listeners now to raise their hand <laughs> if they learned a little something about STRs. I know I did. Um, I, I think that this is something that we're going to be obviously covering more and more as time goes on. So let's leave it at that today. And uh, when we have more to talk about it, we're, we're sure to we're sure to get all together again. And you'll, you'll teach me even more about STRs. <laughs> Thank you both for coming in and chatting with me. And I'll chat with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time. <laughs>